Welcome to Tasso Tech Talks. I'm Ben Greenstone, the Managing Director of Tasso Advisory. On this podcast, your hosts, me and my brilliant Tasso Advisory colleagues, will discuss all things policy and politics with our expert guests. We'll go in-depth on the big issues for tech companies, exploring what might happen and what it all means. Across the world, politicians, policymakers and regulators are increasingly focused on technology and the companies behind it. This poses a major risk to tech companies' reputations, their ability to operate and their profitability. It also offers opportunity to shape the environment in a way that works for them and their business and to be known for what they do well. As they say in DC, if you aren't at the table, you're on the menu. Welcome to the Tasso Tech Talks podcast. I'm your host, George Osborne. It's been a whirlwind year for tech policy in the UK and EU, with rapid technological change and the ticking electoral clock accelerating an already fast-moving space. So, with summer recess here, it's the perfect time for us to pause to look at the state of play in both territories, discuss the led differing approaches to the big issues in tech policy, and to look ahead to what awaits us once the break is over. To discuss all this, and possibly even more, is Mia Bartoloni and Simone Casade-Pestolino, both directors at Tasso Advisory. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, George. Really excited for our chat. Excellent. So we're going to just dive straight into things because there is a lot of ground to cover. And Mia, because you've jumped in first, you're going to get the responsibility of leading us out. So can you give us a quick summary of what's been going on this year in terms of UK tech policy? Thanks, George. Um, Yes, I could probably talk for hours about everything that's happened in the tech world this year, um, because you're certainly right. It's been an absolutely whirlwind year for tech policy in both the UK and the EU, but I'll I'll stick to the UK and let Simona talk to the EU part. You may remember back in 2022 during Rishi Sunak's leadership campaign, he pledged to make the UK a science and technology superpower. And it feels like that was really the trigger point for things kicking off. I mean, I'll caveat that by saying that the wheels were definitely in motion before Rishi's premiership, but it feels like that period of instability during the Johnson and uh, Trust premierships, we really needed that kind of stability to get things moving once Sunak entered office. So I guess straight off the bat, the flagship of Sunak's premiership was the creation of the Department for Science, Innovation and Technology, or DSIT as it's become known. And this was made up of civil servants from the now defunct uh, business department bays and the now trimmed down Department for Culture, Media and Sport, DCMS. So DSIT's creation meant a kind of real focus on tech and innovation, which has been really largely welcomed by uh, the tech industry in particular. But they've been put in charge of this major program of tech regulation, including three big pieces of the government's legislative agenda. So the data bill, the competition bill, and the online safety bill. And each of these are at fairly crucial stages of their parliamentary process at the moment. We've got the data bill, which is waiting on its report stage in the House of Commons, the competition bill, or more formally known as the Digital Markets Competition and Consumers Bill, which has just finished committee stage in the House of Commons. And then, of course, everyone's favourite online safety bill, Um, which is nearing the end of its legislative passage in the House of Lords, but is not showing any signs of slowing down. (laughs) So yeah, we've got all these bills. And then on top of the kind of smorgasbord of bills, we've also got the government pushing forward with a number of new frameworks, probably most notably the UK's initial framework for AI through the AI white paper. So I guess what all of this means is that the government is very much 
up against the clock as it aims to pass all these bits of legislation before the parliament is dissolved in 2024. It has been interesting to have that feel of governance by university essay crisis as people desperately try to get all of the work done just before the end of term. But it's certainly been a busy year so far in the UK. And Simone, things have been busier in the EU too in a lot of different ways though. I think specifically around actually, dare I say this, getting things implemented and up and running. Well, uh, to maintain, let's say, the class analogy, Europe really wants to be the first in in class, you know, and uh, play this role of being the first in uh, regulating uh, tech. So I think especially this year, the European Union kept itself very, very busy uh, with uh, all the European acts that basically entered the, the main stage, you know, from AI to, to the Chips Act, cybersecurity, data, and this is also because we we saw a massive change in the tech environment also right after the pandemic. So I think the European Commission especially tried to adapt uh, these legislations uh, to a changing environment. And on top of that, we we worked on the implementation of, uh, of files that are pretty much still concerning a lot of uh, tech players like uh, the DSA and the DMA because... Uh, I'd say now we enter in a phase where everybody is trying to, after the legislation passed, uh, we're trying to understand how to implement it and try to, to cope with it. If we think also about what is coming on in these months and uh, what is will be coming in the next few months, I mean, thinking about the kind of review of the GDPR, it's kind of because the commission doesn't like it to, to call it a full review, but... I think it's interesting from a tax perspective, same as the EU-US data framework with, once again, we end up talking about the cooperation between EU and US and uh, we're looking at already some reaction from uh, Mr. Uh, Schrem on this. So get ready for a, for a fun uh, end of 2023, beginning of 2024. And I think just because we don't have enough we already start thinking about what could be the next um, headache for 2024 uh, and more with the conversation on uh, on the metaverse, where the commission is telling us what they think about the metaverse, where there could be potential for regulation and suggesting its own definition of web uh, 4.0, whereas the rest of the community going is going in a different avenue. Yeah, so kind of busy. Keeping busy. If if the UK is rushing to keep up with the essay crisis of its own making, then the EU is very much trying to be the school SWAT. I think that's a very fun way of looking at this. But so look, we have a lot to cover. So instead of making you suffer by trying to do everything in the next 10 minutes, what we're instead going to do is we're going to tackle three kind of key policy areas and three big themes that I think have emerged over the course of the last six or so months to just, just get us onto everything. So I think the first one is because, hey, who wouldn't be talking about artificial intelligence at the moment? Because literally you cannot avoid it. So let's go straight in there. And uh, I know obviously Simone was talking a little bit about the AI Act there, just, just as something that the EU has been working on. But can you just give us a really quick summary of what the Act's looking like and, and what that currently means in terms of the sort of the regulatory environment that's developing in Europe? So I think what the, the EU is trying to to work on is really to categorize and to define AI and uh, and its deployment. Of course, what was tricky of this process is the fact that in the meantime, 
industry evolved. If you take when the act was published and how quickly the conversation evolved about generative AI, and that modified the discussion within the AI Act, I think it's giving us probably one of the most difficult piece of legislation that the EU is trying to, to work on, the most comprehensive or as comprehensive as possible because they're trying to define what could be involved in uh, iris categories, trying to define uh, generative AI, trying to tackle issues between uh, AI and copyright. And just to add even more to the plate, they're even trying to define what is biometric recognition and its, its usage. So at the moment, uh, we are in a trilogue phase. So the council and the parliament are arguing about their own uh, position, and they're trying to find uh, a common position on what could be a Europe approach. But uh, the implementation will start as of 2026. So what happens in the meantime? So that's why the commission is trying to come up with the AI pact, just because we are not confused enough. And uh, I think people are still trying to understand what we mean by AI pact. We'll find out more. Definitely. And so while the EU is obviously taking the approach to go for regulation and try and put that framework around it, Mir, it's been a bit different over in the UK with there's, there's been a lot of conversation about guardrails uh, and it's not solely about what's going on in nursing homes. So, so would you like to give us a little bit of a summary there about the AI white paper? For sure. So you're right, George, the UK is moving in a slightly different or quite a radically different direction, it seems, to the EU at the moment with its... Um, allegedly pro-innovation and light-touch framework for AI through uh, the AI white paper. So it diverges pretty significantly from the EU's approach, which is risk-based. And the UK has said that we're interested in regulating the use, not the technology. So it's a kind of non-statutory approach for the time being that has been set out. And what the government is looking to do instead is give existing regulators a year to kind of issue practical guidance around the use of AI in their individual sectors based on more broad principles. And there are, I think, five of these principles. There's safety, transparency, fairness, contestability and accountability. I don't know if I counted that right. What it means for tech companies when we're thinking about what the UK is doing differently to, to the EU. I think most importantly, it means that we're unlikely to see any kind of like rules or risk levels assigned to entire sectors or technologies. And we're unlikely to see any new rigid rules or outright bans, kind of like strict compliance requirements around, uh, around the use of AI. So it is a different approach with the intention being that it supports innovation in the AI sphere. And we're seeing that broadly supported but by most of the industry. But yeah, there's been a little bit of kickback. We've seen a few think tank groups calling for more rigid regulation. So we'll have to see what happens. Absolutely. And with the much and long awaited Global AI Summit set to take place in the UK later this year, I think, frankly, the excitement about whether or not that regulatory battle will be fought in more detail it's just frankly too much for us to contain. But Mia, I'm going to go and tap you up about our next big theme, though, which is competition. Now, I think obviously when people have been thinking about competition and, and what's been going on there, there's been Microsoft and Activision Blizzard almost being that kind of symbolic thing where uh, in terms of the EU making a decision one way and the UK making a decision another, that that's kind of spoke a bit about potential divergence there. But Mia, what's been going on with the competition bill and, and, and what's that looking like and where it's set to go? Yeah, so the competition bill, uh, as I 
alluded to or pointed to in the beginning. It's in the stage in the House of Commons at the moment where we've just wrapped up uh, committee stage. We're moving to report. Um, conversations are getting heated around the kind of technical aspects. But sorry, just to step back a bit, the competition bill is it's very similar. Someone I will talk to uh, the Digital Markets Act in a second, but they're very similar in intention in so far as the UK government is planning to kind of like increase fairness in digital markets. And what the Digital Markets Competition and Consumer Bill is looking to do is take a kind of flexible approach to regulating the biggest tech companies. So instead of blanket defining the biggest tech companies as gatekeepers, which the EU is doing and giving them a kind of exhaustive and universal set of obligations, instead we're going to see the Digital Markets Unit, which will be given kind of statutory powers, be able to designate firms with something called strategic market status and then tailor kind of regulatory measures to these business models in the form of conduct requirements and then also pro-competitive interventions. But yes, you kind of hinted at it, George, but I think what we're also seeing in the meantime too while we're waiting for this bill to come to fruition, is the presence of more activist regulators. And I think we're seeing this on both the EU and the UK side. And the case of the Microsoft Activision Blizzard uh, situation is really a case in point where the CMA stepped in very heavy handed in the beginning and looks like it may row back a little bit now under pressures from other regulators. But yeah, we're definitely seeing regulators coming into the tech sphere and wanting to have a say over how they think things should be. Absolutely. And I think as well, if you really want to get into the weeds of it, you can very much enjoy some very lengthy debates about appeals standards and uh, the competition bill, which are some of the things that have been discussed in things like the Lords Committees recently, which I'm not going to go as far as saying it's exciting because that's just frankly not true. But it's certainly, in terms of competition, major room for debate. And so Simone as well, I think one of the things you want to tease out is actually the fact that the EU competition landscape could be changing as a result of changes and uh, potentially even some scandal, shall we say. Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's interesting. First of all, what uh, what Mia was saying is totally right. Uh, but I think we should look at uh, more than just the DMA in the European landscape. And this is just because uh, I think the EU and especially the Commission would like to have a strong say on certain competition matters in different, uh, let's say, sectors of the technology environment. Uh, I mean, I could recall also at the conversation we had uh, a couple of months ago on this on this podcast uh, with uh, with Gillian uh, regarding uh, intellectual property for 5G. That's another topic where definitely the the Commission is is looking at uh, at tech in a different way, and the same goes for for the DMA, for example, where was very important for the Commission. Uh, and to a certain extent also for the parliament to define uh, gatekeepers because uh, I think they they had uh, quite a huge pressure from uh, from consumers and from uh, other European players that there were uh, situations that had to be controlled. Now the direction is interesting because now what happens next, we have... Commissioner Vestager officially interested in a job as a new chief of the European Investment Bank. And then it happened that she suggested as chief economist, US, very good economist, but still a US born economist. And uh, with, let's say, previous quite recent works with uh, some 
tech company that she might have worked on. So that generated some scandal in the commission, in the parliament. Uh, and so if before we had uh, a strategy of European competition, are we sure will be the same? I would say we're not. I think, uh, and especially on that point as well about activist regulators, it has been fascinating this year seeing that somewhat collide with the reality of what those decisions potentially may mean for a territory. And I think especially the case in the UK. But so we're into our final big theme uh, and we're going to try and keep this one quick, even though it's possibly the most complicated one of them all. So sorry about this, Mir. Uh, but online safety, you've got the online safety bill to summarise where it is. I'm just going to say good luck with that, Mia. Good luck indeed. Yes. I mean, the online safety bill, where, where to start? As I said in the beginning, we're kind of nearing the end of the legislative process for the online safety bill. So we're at third reading in the House of Lords now. And I would say it's not getting any simpler at this stage. We've had people accuse the online safety bill of really becoming this Christmas tree piece of legislation. I, and I think it certainly has become that we're also, while we're nearing the end of the legislative passage in the kind of House of Commons, House of Lords, we're going to see quite a long period of implementation and a big programme of work from Ofcom, the UK's future online safety regulator, taking place just to hash out what exactly the obligations look like for the services that are being regulated. And so they're currently carrying out a myriad of consultations to kind of inform their views of how things should be carried out after the bill receives royal assent, which is looking to happen at the end of this year, I'll, I'll just say. But yes, it's interesting because we've seen the UK and the EU pursue very kind of parallel legislative attempts to regulate user-generated content. And Simone will speak more to the Digital Services Act. But I think the EU really pushed forward at a, at a fast speed and the UK has fallen a behind potentially a little bit but this also means that we're seeing like more divergences coming out between the two pieces of legislation I think particularly around like the kind of content that's in scope of the online safety bill so while the digital services act looks at pretty strictly illegal content the online safety bill is really looking to tackle you know all types of harmful content online and it seems to be coming more and more broad. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people have described it as a Christmas tree, but I would describe it as a very overladen game of buckaroo. And at some point, uh, there could be a big kickback off the back of that. But Simonic, just to, to give us that sense as well from, from the European side. So whereas the UK has continued to load and load and load the online safety bill, and eventually it's going to probably going to pass some point around November and then off it goes into actual implementation. The EU is a bit further down the line in terms of implementing, but also it's looking a lot at things in regards to child sexual abuse material, right? Yes. The EU is now in the implementation phase with the, with the DSA, still very much a concern for, for a lot of uh, tech companies, also because we're now still at the very first stage of the first uh, VLOPs. And I think... Uh, even the commission internally is trying to understand how does that work, because in terms of even staffing of the people that will need to analyze the amount of data that they will receive from the companies. But in, indeed, as you said, uh, we have the child uh, uh, combating child sexual abuse online, which is probably one of the major file still open in terms of tech-related files. And it's generating a lot of concerns, both both in the in the parliament and in the council, because of the quite big differences of opinion between the commission on end-to-end -end encryption, on specific provisions 
against offenders and monitoring specific content. And of course, here you see the beauty of the European Union and the differences of opinions between uh, member states in the approach of privacy. And I think the conversation is getting even trickier because of the upcoming elections. Of course, this will be an interesting topic for a variety of politicians. Generally speaking, uh, online safety, not just for uh, uh, protecting children, uh, but when it comes to terrorist content, is also a very sensitive topic. And it's very interesting to see the difference between, say, the German approach or the French approach. You know, recently there was a discussion between Commissioner Breton and the media when uh, basically he said that there was a possibility to switch off certain social media in case of uprising that generated uh, quite some uh, backlash on, uh, on French media. So a lot of confusion, but uh, definitely online safety is still much discussion in the EU. Absolutely. And that, that point on security and safety reflected back through the UK debate around a lot of what's been discussed in regards to encryption and about a lot of messaging services potentially pulling out on the basis of provisions of the bill uh, threatening end-to-end encryption on the basis that, yes, we're trying to protect people. But does that go too far in terms of individual civil liberties? So the same debate refracted in two different ways. But look, both of you have done wonderfully to take a very busy year of tech policy and bring it down into a very short period of time. So I'm going to now ask you to do something even more challenging. People are looking ahead to autumn, looking ahead to next year, and they're thinking, what are the things that we need to know about what's going on in the UK and EU? So Mia and Simone, I want you to give me one quick thing that you think people need to be looking out for when we come back after our recess, after our lovely summer break. So I'm going to go to Simone first. What's the things to look out for? Well, I'll go even further than uh, just, uh, let's say, Q4 2024, and I'll, I'll tell you what I, what I think in three words. AI, metaverse, copyright. They're all uh, magically and technically connected, but they might be more through legislation. There we go. And Mia? It's really all about AI, isn't it? And George, I think you already mentioned, but I think the UK's global AI summit in autumn is a big one to look to. I think also will be interesting to see, much like online safety, I think the issue of AI has become increasingly politicised. So I'll be interested to see what the UK government does with that, if they keep their light touch approach or if we see something a little bit firmer, if those guardrails end up meaning anything. And we know that DCIT are going to look to publish something a bit more concrete in September. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. Fantastic. And with that, I've got to say a massive thank you to both Mia and Simone for joining us on the podcast this month. And that's the end of that. It's the end of our summer recess special. But remember, if you're enjoying the show, then please do subscribe and leave us a positive review so more people can discover Tasso Tech Talks. If you want to keep up with Tasso Advisory, you can find us on social media over on LinkedIn or Twitter. Or if you'd like to get our free policy download newsletter, which rounds up the most interesting tech policy news in the UK and EU each month, the sign-up link is in the description of this episode, so you can go and sign up there. Lastly, if you want to chat tech policy or policy communication needs across the UK and EU, you can, of course, email us at hello at tassoadvisory.com and we'll be happy to help. But for now, thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you again soon. Thank you.